You are listening to the Literary Comedy Podcast. Stories of comedy, tragedy, and time. Ing. Welcome to Chapter 17 of A Dragon for George, a friendly for most families novel about a 12-year-old boy and a genetically engineered dragon. Last time, George discovered that Corwin will kill Lorne if they don't bond. George then challenged Corwin to a trial by combat that George is currently losing. And now, Chapter 17 of A Dragon for George. Before George could tell his legs to dive out of the way, they did it for him. Corwin's broadsword swept past, clanging off the metal floor. That was some good dodging, George told his legs. Well done. He thrust his sword, but Corwin parried. He swung his broadsword at George, who ducked out of the way. Way to be small, said Deidre. As she smiled at George, he saw the glint of something metal in her teeth before she quickly shut her mouth again. She winked at him. George dodged another swing. Corwin's sword bounced off the steps. George noticed how small and thin the hilt was compared to the rest of the sword. Even so, Corwin could barely wrap his hands around it. This gave George one of his bright ideas. Thou dost fight like a hedge-born jackspout, said George. He could tell that the insult got to Corwin, who swung his sword with increased force but less precision. Thou dost flap thine sword about like an intemperate jackdaw, George said. Thou dost fidget like a jack-fisted jackanapes. Corwin swung his sword harder, faster, and nowhere near George. Thou dost fight like a minute-handed jackaninny. George knew that his own hands were in fact smaller than Corwin's, even on a relative scale. But George also knew that his skin was thicker. His metaphorical skin, at least. His skinless hand still hurt. He kept up with the insults, moving through the rest of the Jack ones, and on to the F.O. ones, such as Foul Fool and Foolish Foul and Fosty Fool. Corwin's face dripped with sweat, red with rage. He countered each insult with a strong swing of the sword. George, dodging, eyed Corwin's hilt. It was still straight, or very nearly. Still, George thought, this will work. After enduring several more insults, Corwin countered with several of his own, the best of which were, Thou art a molly-coddled coward, and Thou dost fight like a fop-doodle. George laughed off these insults, which enraged Corwin all the more. The man swung his sword again, missed again. At last... Corwin's hilt began to bend. Two more insults from George made it warp. Three more made it twist. It was time for the greatest, cruelest, and most medieval insult George could think of. Thou doth melee like an unmaidened milksop. Corwin screamed upon hearing this. George couldn't blame him. Milksop is not a nice thing to call anyone, but I'm sure you already know that, dear listener. Corwin swung his sword with all his strength, grazing George's ear as the sword clanged again against the marble floor. George knew that he was hurt, but did not feel the pain. Taking his chance, George swung his sword at Corwin's hilt, breaking it. The broadsword's blade clanged on the uneven stone floor. George pointed his rusted sword at Corwin. Yield, sir, said George. I have disarmed thee. All of George's fellow captives cheered for him. 
except Deidre. She was bent over like she might be sick, but George knew better than that. She was up to something. Corwin kicked George's sword, but George held tight to his grip, swinging around and hitting Corwin with a powerful blow, which clanged loudly against the shining armor, but didn't even scratch it. Yield, George repeated. Army, sirrah, said Corwin. The square-jawed horseman took a mace from one of the suits of armor and put it into Corwin's hand. That's not fair, said George's mum. If one shouldst be disarmed, said Corwin, one mayest pick up another weapon from around the room. I do not recall this rule in all of the codes of chivalry, said George. The codes of chivalry doth not specify that it canst not be done, said Corwin. Ergo, tis dishonorable to maketh up the rules as thou doth go along, said George. May I be struck down if our lord deem this unfair, said Corwin. George promptly struck him, but the small sword bounced off the strong armor. "'Thou wilt note that I didst not go down,' Corwin said, swinging his mace at George, who ducked out of the way. George reposted, but again his sword bounced off the armor. Corwin swung his mace, which nearly knocked the sword right out of George's hand. The mace was too large for the small sword to parry. George dodged Corwin's next swing.' Corwin kept swinging. George kept dodging. He ran around the room, zigging one way, zagging the other. Wherever George went, Corwin followed, his armor rattling behind him. That looks awkward, George thought. Unwieldy, if that's a word. It is. If George timed it right, he could leap at Corwin's legs and knock him over. Yes, George thought. This will work. He sprinted across the combat circle. Corwin's armor clanked loudly behind him. George glanced back so he could aim his leap, but as he turned his head, the square-jawed horseman stuck out his leg to trip him. George landed hard, dropping his sword. He quickly recovered himself, running for it, but the square-jawed horseman kicked it away. Hey, tis not fair. "'Tis not specified in the codes of chivalry,' said Corwin, swinging his mace at George, who sprinted to the nearest suit of armor. "'Coward!' Corwin said as he approached. "'Come out from behind there!' Corwin swung his mace, but George dodged. Corwin chased him around the suit of armor. George stayed one step ahead of the man. Corwin swung his mace at the suit of armor directly, knocking it over, its various pieces scattering across the floor." Now I have thee, said Corwin, swinging his mace. George dodged, picking up a gauntlet from the fallen armor. George ran toward his little rusted sword, but the square-jawed horseman tripped him again before he could reach it. George turned to see Corwin's mace coming straight for his stomach, which he shielded with the gauntlet. Metal clattered against metal as the mace bashed the gauntlet into George's stomach, knocking him into the middle of the combat circle knocking the wind right out of him. Corwin stepped on top of George's belly, putting his weight on it. George attempted to wriggle away, gasping for air all the while. Corwin bashed the gauntlet from his hand. George tried to scream, but he didn't have the breath. Yield, said George's dad. Just yield already. George didn't have the breath to yield with either. Only the victor canst requesteth a yield said Corwin, but I requesteth it not. George gasped, receiving enough air to scream, albeit faintly. Corwin pushed hard upon his belly. George lost his breath again, but screaming continued. 
This screaming was not from George, however. This screaming came from across the room. From Lorne. She screamed, she screeched, she rattled her cage, she pulled at the bars, she bit them. Corwin lifted his mace above George. Corwin prepared to make the death blow. Lorne frantically pulled at the bars, bending them. She thrust her head between them, but she was too big to fit through. Thou dost abide by the codes of chivalry. George gasped the words out to Corwin. Thou dost know that true justice is meted out via mercy. When I dost remove thy head from thy body, never more shall man or woman born needs ever again listen to thy prattling. I knowest no greater mercy than this. Thou dost mean to say, when I do remove thy head from thy body. George gasped as Lorne rammed against the door of her cage. Not dost. Thou dost not speak knightly English well at all. Fie, fie, tis still the same point. Corwin raised his mace higher. George tried to roll out from under his foot, but found the pain unbearable. Stupid pain, thought George. You're about to find life unlivable. As Corwin swung his mace down, Lorne flew against the door of the cage, breaking it open. Corwin turned his head, putting himself off balance. George pushed him aside, escaping the blow of the mace, which slammed against the marble floor, bounced back up and bashed into Corwin's helmet. Lorne bashed into Corwin's armor, denting it. She scratched and bit it, bent it and punctured it. She was twice as big as Corwin now. If not for the armor, he would have been torn limb from limb. Jack stood up, throwing George the bridle. How didst thou get free of thy bonds? said Corwin, squinting through his visor at Jack. He unlocked it with the key. Deidre said proudly as she unlocked Thud's chains. The key I stole from you while you were searching myself for your diary, which I also stole from you. She freed George's mom and then his dad. Thou truly art an evil enchantress, Corwin said. Lorne growled as she attacked the upper vambrace of Corwin's armor. I'm not an enchantress, Deidre said as she freed Hank. I'm a thief, but I am enchanting. I'll give you that. Thou art nothing but an eye! Lorne bent Corwin's armor at the shoulder. Get her off of me! He screamed to the square-jawed horseman. The square-jawed horseman aimed his bow, but hesitated. A miss would kill Corwin instead, and Lorne kept moving rapidly. She bit Corwin's shoulder. He screamed in pain. She ripped off his helmet. She opened her jaws wide. Get off him! George yelled at Lorne. Show him mercy! He doesn't deserve it, but it's what Max would have wanted. Lorne slowly closed her mouth. She turned her head to George inquisitively. He nodded. She screeched once in protest, but jumped off Corwin all the same. An arrow shot through Lorne's wing so suddenly that the hole appeared before the blood. So shockingly that the blood appeared before the scream. So loud that all action in the room stopped for a moment. The scream even drowned out the sound of George's thoughts. The square-jawed horseman knocked another arrow into his bow. As he aimed, Thud and Hank tackled him. "'We must capture the stray pet,' said Richard Glenn. His two statuesque employees took out a giant gun and aimed it. 
Hork pushed their arms as they fired, knocking the shot off course. A gelatinous blob twenty feet high thwomed against one of the tapestries. Let's get out of here, said George, strapping the bridle on Lorne. Deidre arrived at his side, whispering the directions in his ear. Follow the river till it reaches the sea. The island is two miles due west. Just think of where the sun sets. That's where you have to go. <laughs> How will he get back? said his dad, running up to them. I'll send one of my associates to Shipwreck Island as soon as I can, said Deidre, helping George mount onto Lorne's back. It'll be one, maybe two days taps. Your associates of the sea, said George. You mean pirates? Yes, exactly. That sounds dangerous, said his dad with more concern than authority. Please don't do this, George, said his mum, who'd now joined the scene. I've got to, George said, patting Lorne affectionately. You don't said his mum, reaching for her son. Yes, he does, said Deidre, handing George a satchel holding the dragon's egg. It's a great diversion. They'll chase the dragon and we'll be able to escape this forsaken place. Thanks for everything, George said to Deidre. I owed you, she said. I wouldn't have done it otherwise. Thwing! A tranquilizer dart hit the far wall. Get him off of me, shouted the ponytailed woman, a gun in her hand, a hank holding down her arm. With pleasure, said the woman's very big, very muscular friend. The mountain, metaphorically speaking, picked Hank off the ground, expending about the same effort an elephant would use to lift a minor bird. The smile on the metaphorical mountain's face revealed that he had, as he had predicted, completed his task with pleasure. Another dart fired. This one headed straight for Lorne. But both of George's parents dove in front of it. It embedded into his dad's forearm. The man immediately fell unconscious. Dad! George shouted. I'll take care of your parents, said Deidre. Leave already. George clicked at Lorne as she spread her wings. Don't let them get away, yelled Corwin, throwing his mace. Doc! said George. Lorne obeyed and the mace flew over her head, shattering through one of the thirty-foot-tall windows. Broken glass fell to the floor like crystal hail. George shielded his face and Lorne's. The glass stopped falling. George looked up to see a clear escape. Thanks for the help, George said to Corwin. Lorne flew out the window and into the foggy morning air. Thank you for listening to Chapter 17 of A Dragon for George. Tune in next time when George and Lorne attempt to escape to the safety of Shipwreck Island. Until then, bless you, keep you, and take good care.